This episode is brought to you by Solo Medical, a revolutionary approach to amputee wound care. Welcome to Amputeo, everybody, the new show here on Voices for Ability Radio. This is the show that takes a serious life look at living with amputation. We've got a very interesting gentleman coming up here. This gentleman, he is an adaptive athlete. He has started his own foundation, and he's actually an actor. So this gentleman has quite a bit going on. So let's take a good inside look at what's happening with Amputeo and Aristotle Domingo. Aristotle? Welcome. Yes, sir. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, sir. And let's talk a little bit about Amputeo. This is a show about living, or should I rather say, life with an amputation. Mm-hmm. Let, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Why, why the show? Why you and why the show? I think, well, let's, let's start, I guess, with, with who I am. I'm a double amputee, and to your point, I'm an, adapt, I'm an adaptive athlete. Um, I am also an actor, so representation for me is very important. So I just want to make sure that we're represented in all media possible, right? Whether that's print, movies, TV, and now the radio. Why me? I think I have a lot of reach in the community. I know a lot about the community, being a member of the community also. And I think I have a lot to offer, not just the amputee community, but the disabled community also, and what it's like to live with an amputation. And that's very important. I mean, a lot of folks have absolutely no idea what it's like to live with an amputation. Mm-hmm. Be, being a former printer, I'm quite happy to say I still have all 10 fingers, but I have no idea what it's like. So right. how, how about you? Are you? How much do you want to share about life with an amputation? Well, I lost my left leg back in 2017, January 11, 2017, after about, believe it or not, 15 years of trying to save my limb. And then five months after my amputation, I actually went back into running, which I've loved, and I've put on hold for 15 years of having gone through all the issues I was having with my leg. After surgery, after spending time in rehab, like I said, five months after amputation, I did my first race and going back into running. Now, I did my first race not knowing I was going to do a race. I just wanted to do something for me. And I thought that that was going to be only it. That was going to be just a one-time thing. And I just wanted to do something for myself. At the end of that race, at the finish line, something comes over you. And it's something that I think sort of reminded me of times past and life past of this is what it feels like to go get something and to finish something that I put my, my mind and my heart to. And I would say that the bug bit me at that point in that I've now signed up for a race every month after that, running 5K races for the next year after that. Unfortunately, 2018 hit late fall of 2018 and I started having issues with my right leg. And that resulted in my amputation in January 2019, two years exactly, almost to the date of my left baloney amputation to making me a double amputee. Now, it took me longer to go back into running this time around. That actually took me six months to go back into running, but I did run actually July 1st, 2020 to celebrate going back into running, sort of saying that I'm back, you know, and then... I had been running ever since then as well. And I continue to run and I continue to participate in virtual 5Ks. It's the way I zone out. And it's the way that I 
can sort of focus on myself and think clearly for myself and sort of get rid of all the negative things about my environment or whatever else that I'm going through. So running had been my, my sort of outlet uh, since my amputation to, to just feel that I've accomplished something. So running is obviously your happy place then. It is. It is. It is. That, that's your place that you go to. You feel as one. But I, I need to recap this because if running mm-hmm. is your happy place, and let yep. me see if I've got this right. Uh, your first amputation was 2016. 17. 2017. Yeah. And then in 2019 was the other yep. amputation. Yeah. And within six months of the second amputation, you were running a mm-hmm. race. Yes. That's a lot of resilience, my friend. That Thanks. takes a lot to get to actually put forward and do. So looking at that experience, having had mm-hmm. that experience to go from a second amputation to six months running a road race. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that? How much agony, how much defeat was involved in that? How much success and joy? What did you learn? Life hacks. Talk to me about uh, it, man. You know, what's funny is that I always say this and it makes me giggle a little. People roll their eyes when they hear it. I found that I am more capable as an amputee now than I was before becoming an amputee. When I had my surgery, it wasn't a thought of, great, I am now an amputee or I'm now disabled. My day of amputation was a day of, I can finally move on with my life. So never once did I think that there's going to be agony. Yes, there's agony. But it was agony to win at life and win at everything. And that's why I always use running as a metaphor for everything that I do. I always hit that third K when you just can't do it anymore. And you're like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this to myself? You're sweat pouring down your eyes. Your limbs are hurting because you're, you're running on amputated limbs. And, and I have running blades. Eventually, your legs get tired and, and your limbs hurt also from the pounding it's taken from the road. You're now crying at this point just from the sting of the sweat on the third K and you're like, why am I doing this? But then you see that finish line at the end and you're like, but I'm almost there. And if I cross that finish line, I know there will be this whoosh of energy and joy that will pour out of me that whatever I've gone through in the past in those first three Ks or in my life is absolutely worth winning at this, at this point. That's how I see myself with running, I never once saw it as defeat. It was me for me to move on forward with my life. Well, when I say defeat, I'm talking about mm-hmm. little things, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure we all have those little things that end up on the attempted and failed pile in life, oh, right? Of course, yes. And as an individual with a disability, we always come across these little things where all of a sudden it doesn't work and the struggle starts. That's what I'm mm-hmm. referring to by defeat. Wow. Okay. Well, yes, that happens throughout a run <laughs> when you're <laughs> running as an amputee. This is going to be a little bit more open, I suppose. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay to share this, but uh, just sort of a heads up. You do sweat a lot. And as, as an athlete, as a runner, runners will understand you sweat a lot. And so what happens when you sweat in those sockets the the piece where our running blades are attached to and our prosthesis are attached to 
you make sloshing sounds because sweat pools in that. And then it becomes loose. And then it becomes even more slushy. And then you start making fart sounds. And then all of a sudden, if you don't look after that, your defeat will be falling because you'll start becoming loose out of the socket. And then you now have face planting on the ground. So you always have to be aware of your whole body throughout the run. And, and if you have issues with your limbs, such as a blister, perhaps that you're still nursing or a cyst or a cut, any small things like that would be painful once it gets sweat in it, if you could just imagine that. So there's all those things that you kind of just have to either quickly look at so that you don't lose your pace time when you're running or go and say, I can run through this. I can bear through this. I've passed through more stuff than this, but being safe about it, right? So there are those things. And in, in, in my life as an amputee, there are those things. There, there are those failed moments when you you're just feel defeated. I'll give you an example. Um, I was invited to race at the Global Running Day a couple of years ago. And this was um, April 2018, I believe. And a well-known MC was hosting the, the event. And there's a famous track athlete there who's a, a Team Canada medal winner. A whole bunch of other runners are there. I'm running it. The whole globe is running it. And my socket and my uh, a sleeve that holds on to my socket and myself ripped apart, not even 200 meters into the, into the race. And now I can't run anymore because it just happened. And you're like, what now? What do I do? And I'm in front of all these people. And I meant to do this race. And now I just flopped, not, not just physically, but emotionally as well. And then mentally as well. So there's those moments of defeat that you kind of just go, well, what can I do now? But then you also turn that around and you go, what can I do now? So to feel better about myself, I actually ran the next day by myself because I got home. I got, you know, I got a new sleeve on following morning. I'm like, I'm, I committed to it because I remain committed to, to the race. And I'm going to do this just for the principle of running that race. And you see, that's the stuff that I'm really talking about. That resilience to know that equipment failure took you out mm -hmm. of a moment that meant a lot to you. Mm -hmm. And to be able to just go back and do it because you committed to doing it. This is what I'm doing and you did it. And right. it's stuff like that, right? right. That, that's the kind of thing that keeps everyone going. Those are the types of things that we all need to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? No, absolutely. So, I mean, that, that's just an incredible story. And I really think it brings it to, or rather, it brings to light, should we say, Looking at something like what you mentioned with quality mm -hmm. of life, mm -hmm. can we talk a bit about quality of life with versus without? Sure, absolutely. What what, what were you looking at? What uh, what did the doctor say was in front of you? I don't think they knew exactly what was in front of me, or I knew exactly what was in front of me because I actually made the decision to have the amputation. I was seeing my doctor, and he said, "Yep, you have another bone infection." What do you want to do? Because at this point, this has been 15 years of going back and forth in hospitals, surgeries, antibiotics, and being on pain meds 24 hours a day because I'm constantly in pain. So 
when I looked at him and I said, I want it gone, I think it shocked him because it's like, why are you asking for this limb to be gone when you've worked so hard to save it? And it's hard to live without a limb because that is their training. That, that is what they need to say to you is they want to save the limb. That's how, just, that's how it works in Canada and the United States is that they want to save and preserve the limb as much as possible. But for me, I've spent 15 years of trying to have a quality of life. I was overweight at the time. I was just basically on the couch, between couch, work, hospitals every now and then for surgeries. And then in that same routine of almost nothingness. And then you get tired of that. So to me, that was when I still have my limb and live with my limb. So on the day of the amputation, actually, they thought they weren't going to do the surgery that day either because I had a fever that day, the morning of surgery. They said, we can't do the surgery today. You know, you have a fever. It's dangerous for you to go into surgery with a fever. And I remember saying to the anesthesiologist, you have to take it off today. Please, you have to take it off today. So I'm almost begging to have a quality of life at that point. I didn't know what my life was going to be like after my amputation, but all I wanted was the pain to be gone, the pain that I was feeling to be gone. And I knew that if that amputation happened, that the pain would be gone. Because if I can get rid of the pain now, then I can live today and make the best of my today instead of, well, by the book says amputees don't have a good quality of life. Meanwhile, after becoming an amputee, I have lost weight. I'm more fit than I've ever been. And I'm actually an actual athlete again. And I can call myself an athlete and I get referred to as an athlete. So to me, having the legs, if you will, was more debilitating and was not really a better quality of life. In my case, without the limbs is my better quality of life. And so that's why I say I felt more disabled when I had my limbs than without. So you're looking at it, for lack of a better term, as more of a holistic approach. The overall, how does your body feel? How's your mind feel? How's your, your person, as it were, you know, with everything coming together? And that's, that was really a huge part, I would say, in you making that decision. Yes, absolutely. I think... I'm lucky in that I had the opportunity to reflect on the last 15 years of my life and think back and say, or ask myself, is this really how you want to live the next 5, 10, 15, 20, or whatever years you have left in this world? And when I made that decision, whatever, that's a holistic approach to making that decision was that all I knew for myself was that, no, I didn't want to live the next 10, 15 years of my life this way. I don't know what post-amputation surgery would be like. I don't know what it's like to be a baloney amputee, but I'm willing to take that risk and I'm willing to take that chance because whatever the last 15 years was, was not something I wanted for myself. Now, Unfortunately, not all of us are provided with that time to reflect on losing a limb. A lot of times, limb loss is caused by trauma or other medical issues where they need to have the amputation or the surgery right away 
in order to save your life. And so those folks, they now have a different step and a different process in the way that they deal with their limb loss, that they have to go through the grieving process of that limb loss. Aristotle, I hope I'm not getting too deep on your dinging you too much with the show here, but it's really interesting learning who you are. And you mentioned peer support. You've mentioned it a few times. Mm-hmm. And I can understand peer support being very, very deep in the amputee community. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to a show like Amputee O, mm-hmm. is that part of your peer support program or your plan? Do the two intersect? How do they, how do they work together? Absolutely. I, I think this is one of the interests um, that I have with the show and actually being able to, to share the Amputee O show with the wider audience, if you will, because of the limited resources that we have available in Canada and not only the limited resources, but also how scattered the amputees are across Canada. This way I can share more resources to more people across the country. Instead of the peer group that I support here in Toronto, that I've started here in Toronto, the Amputee Coalition of Toronto group, this way resources are more available for amputees across Canada. Resources are one of the hardest things to to look for, and we recognize that in the amputee community here in Canada. So what I'd like to bring with with the Amputee Show is share, you know, self-care and and amputee life hacks that we've talked about before. Make sure people are aware that mental health issues are common, and that is very common, and we need to validate those things. Depression, isolation, of course, is very common with amputees. There's a lot of health issues and body image issues, sexuality even. So I'd like to make those resources available because one of the things I found with doing this peer support and how I started this peer support was because I felt when I left the rehab is that I'm the only amputee. I don't see any other people like me on the street and I feel people are looking at me. I'm lucky in that I have enough confidence in myself that it's okay to be looked at. I'm, I'm okay with being looked at. But so, some folks are not. So they'll go into hiding and they'll go into isolation. And then depression sets in and then, you know, other things, mental health issues sets in. And then it skyrockets into maybe even other health issues like diabetes or heart disease. So when I started the group, it was more to bring those guys out and to bring those folks out and say, you're not alone. There are others of us like you out here that are living our best lives. And if we can send an example for you, then great to just get you out of the house, maybe get you to a mall or whatever it may be. And that's what the whole purpose of the group was. And so I think tying in the amputee show to that is offering those folks that I can't generally get to -to face-to-face in a peer support setting, but at least through the radio and through the airwaves, I can show them or I can offer them some resources that they could find me somewhere that they hear this and inspire them or at least set a spark in them to do something for themselves so that they feel like they're back to normal, whatever their new normal will be. Well, you mentioned one word that I always take as a a key word, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and that is resources. Mm -hmm. Now, in a previous conversation that we had, we touched base briefly on prosthetics and Mm -hmm. uh, what is it? uh, Prosthesists? Mm -hmm. No, the the prosthetist. Prosthetist. Thank you. Yeah. So, Looking at something like prosthetists and the fact that there are so few of them across Canada, mm-hmm. uh, can we touch base on that? We don't need to get too deep into it, but how does a show like Amputee spread that knowledge? Going back to the, to the resources word, 
we have a culture where patient is lower in the totem pole, if you will, and clinicians and doctors and everybody else is at the top of the totem pole. Clinicians meaning doctors, nurses, everybody else in your medical care, uh, including prosthetists, are up on the totem pole. And a lot of times, because resources are not available to you, you don't tend to question a lot of the things that's being said to you. In the prosthetist-patient relationship, when the prosthetist says to a patient or to an amputee, says, you're going to get this because I think it's the best for you. Because our culture already programmed us to, yep, I have to accept that because that person is learned and that person's knowledgeable of what they're talking about. I'll accept it. Meanwhile, we don't know or we don't know any different that when we get that, it's like, well, it's not working. And then you build frustration, right? You're frustrated with your prosthetics because it's not fitting well. You're getting blisters. Why is this not working? Is it me? So then you start questioning yourself because we have that mindset that, yep, I was told this is the one that works for me. It's me that can't work with this material or it's me that can't work with this prosthesis. So what I hope this show will do is allow people to advocate for themselves and question, hey, even if, you know, I'm not saying that I I know it all or the show will tell them all, but if they can at least say, hey, I heard that this setup of prosthetics works for this particular patient, can that work for me? Right. It's just that simple question of, can that work for me? Because then it's, it's advocating for yourself and knowing that there are other options for you also. Right. Because instead of just taking, like I said, instead of just taking with a grain of salt, this works for you. I think so. There you go. Go home with it. And then the patient kind of goes, I was told that this works for me and it's not working. Then you just develop into a down spiral of, it's me. You're making a very important point there, at least I feel very important, Mm -hmm. because as you mentioned, a lot of doctors and clinicians were trained to accept them. These people Mm -hmm. are learned and this is what they do, Mm -hmm. you know, that pay attention to them, right? But as clinicians, as scientists, Mm -hmm. they have to play the numbers game. This Mm -hmm. works on 80% of the people, so we're going to start here. Correct. So is it a matter of just having the conversation with the doctor? Absolutely. Because quite often that can come down to personality as well. Yep. Um, I don't know about you, but I've had at least one doctor that went, I'm your doctor. If you're not listening to me, what's the point? And I'm thinking on the flip side of that coin. Yes, you're my doctor, but I'm the patient. If you're not listening to me, what's the point? Correct. So, so where do we go rip- from there? Advocating for yourself is knowing about who you are. To your example, if the doctor says to you, if you're not going to listen to me, then what's the point? You also know yourself. You have to give yourself an opportunity to ask questions. And if you cannot have that relationship with your, with your doctor, then what kind of medical care, not even medical care, what kind of care is that? Right? Because you would question a friend who's telling you, I think you should do this. But you have every right to say to your friend, well, I didn't ask for your advice. True. Why can't you say that to a doctor? That's very true. But it's also very hard to be able to fight against doctors. Once again, their learned position with, uh, you know, the exalted people on earth kind of thing. I understand that. But but I have to 
say we also had to be invested ourselves in our care. And being invested in yourself in your care means questioning and asking questions. And if you're not comfortable with that doctor, I know there's doctor shortages in Canada, but is it really worth it to not feel well emotionally by having just that conversation with your doctor? Right. Cause I'm sure there's a bit of, why am I questioning that doctor? Like to your point. Right. So then that plays in our, in our psyche, in our mind. And then you start self doubting yourself. And is that really healthy for you? It is not because you're starting that spiral right there. Right. Absolutely. So then you lay awake at night and you think about it and you go, I should really have asked that doctor this. So then is that relationship worth it? Or is it worth it to look for another doctor and say, I need to have a conversation with my doctor where the doctor sees me not only as a number, but also as a person and as a patient. Patient care and patient-centric care is becoming more of a trend now in healthcare. And people should really be aware that the doctors are there to look after you. But you also have to look after yourself. You have to be invested in the care for you. Because only you know you. They can re- make recommendations to your point. Being learned and being knowledgeable in the standards of care, absolutely. I'm not taking that away from them. But you as a patient have to be invested in taking care of you. That's a very important point. Thank you for bringing that one up, Aristotle. No worries. Now, if we were to talk a little bit more about doctors, though, mm-hmm. and just kind of look at the number of doctors mm-hmm. or specialists even that mm-hmm. are involved with caring as an caring for yourself as an amputee mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so i mean i'm sure you have your gp your general practitioner the uh, body yeah. mechanic of all kinds yeah but how big a role does that person play are they the chess master that moves you to everyone else does everyone do all the specialists move you to your gp how does all that it, work? <laughs> it's, it's actually very funny. My GP has always been, if I go back to the totem pole, and I'm pretty sure he's going to hate me for it. He's actually at the very bottom of my totem pole of care. Okay. My physiatrist is at the, very, at the very top of that totem pole because my physiatrist dictates that physiatrist understands my body mechanics and the engineering of my body as an amputee. So that physiatrist will dictate my physiotherapy, my occupational therapy, how my body works with my prosthesis. And so she'll be able to figure out what the prosthesis problems may be and made rec- make recommendations to, pro- to the prosthetist. And then my prosthetist is next in line because he makes my whole body function with my prosthesis. So if I have any back issues, then he'll look at it and go, okay, it's an alignment issue or your gait. Then he goes back to my process going, or my uh, physiatrist saying, yep, it's his gait. Let's work on that with your physiotherapist and your occupational therapist and everybody else under, under the sun. So almost like physiatrist, prosthetist, physiotherapist, occupational therapist, maybe my surgeon if I have an issue, but really it's GP at the, at the very bottom. And then maybe my surgeon, like I said, if I have any issue. But my GP looks after if I have a cold or a cough, like your general care, you know, my blood pressure, my, my, my cholesterol, all of those. But for everything else, for my care, my physiatrist is at the top of that care as an amputee. 
so it's really a whole different setup for healthcare than than the average person would be used to, really. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's interesting though. But let's talk about talk about you as an adaptive athlete. Yeah. What does the term adaptive athlete actually mean? <laughs> um we are an athlete. Adaptive means that we have just adapted the sport to fit us. Adapted right? the sport to fit you. Absolutely. Okay, so just going out on a limb here. Yep. Uh, you said you uh, have uh, 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 exactly. going out on a limb. <laughs> this is going to be a big one. So, <laughs> all right. But you mentioned your running blades. Yep. Now, are are they different? Is it kind of like racing slicks for when you're running and you know winter tire tread or in the winter? Or uh, there's components of that. So my running blades are the one I use, and there's different ones. So I have sprinter ones for short distance, fast sprints, you know, the 100 meters, 200 meters, 400 meters. So they're just made for zooming through a race. And then what I wear on a regular basis is for jogging and long distances. So 5Ks, 10Ks, 12Ks, marathons, half marathons, triathlons, right? And um, now you talked about threads and all of that. Yes, there are different threads for different types of ground. I wear rubber ones for every day. Uh, they're made by Nike. They're called Nike soles. And it's literally the sole of a shoe that is fitted to my running blades. And then if I'm running on track, then I run with cleats, just like a regular runner would be. So the way the term adaptive in that point is that I've adapted my legs to be able to run the same sport as an able-bodied person would. So the sport is now adapted to myself. Exactly. And I had absolutely no idea that there was that much difference in just prosthetic legs for, uh, would that be activity or athletics? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It it changes depending on what you want to do. So the same thing for feet. So I actually have six, sorry, I have three pairs of feet. No, I have four pairs of feet now. I can't even count anymore. So I have four pairs of feet. I have one that I wear every day and I chose a category. So there's even different categories. I chose a higher category because I'm a, I'm an active amputee. That means that I can walk fast. I can run with my everyday prosthetics. I can lift weights. I can go to the gym. I can do any able-bodied person would do with their regular foot. If I could say that politically correctly, compared to a person who may get a category one foot because they only need their foot to be taking them from their kitchen to the bathroom to their bedroom, right? Because the ankle movement then changes depending on what we want to do. So if somebody like me who's very active and who will use this foot every day for everyday things, changing grounds, changing levels, changing speed, I needed a category foot that is, is dynamic. So a less dynamic foot, would not fit me because of the activities I'm doing. Then if I'm going to the beach, then I go into my water feet. And that's meant specifically for swimming and water and sand and everything else. So then I had to change feet for that activity. If I'm going into my run or my jog, I can run with my everyday feet because they're athletic feet, but I run with my blades because they're more comfortable to run in. 
Well, the blade then, gives you the, the same flex as your foot then at that point, right? Yes. So, so the, the physiology of it at that point. Correct. Yeah. So you're not, you know, you're not putting in too much exertion to, um, to walk or to run at that point. So here we go, having a very in-depth conversation about the different prosthetics, and I'm thinking it's going to be a smart comment about winter tires. Look at how that worked out, Aristotle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it actually feels like winter tires. There's threads on that and everything, and there's grooves on that that's quite deep because it needs to grip the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. But I, I had no idea something like that existed. Yeah. So you mentioned throwing earlier. Yep. What is it that you throw? Laptop, cell phone? <laughs> um, so I, uh, I belong to a throwing club, and uh, we, I throw discus, javelin, and shot put. So it's a track and field event, and I actually do seated throws. So again, it's an adaptive sport. So normal throws, you would be standing up. In my case, because of the way my amputation is and the way my balance work, I can still participate in the same sport, participating in a seated position. So I throw the same discus, the same shot, but the same javelin, except I'm sitting down, but I'm expected to throw exactly the same way as a regular thrower would. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. So obviously you don't do the spin, right? I'm thinking something like shot put or discus, right? You don't do the spin, obviously. Right. But that's how I adapted the game or that's how the game was adapted. So I don't spin anymore. Now, there are pair athletes in the throws as well who actually do the spin. So they don't compete at my level. So we all had different classifications, I should say, instead of level. So there's so, a seated type uh, classification and correct. Okay. Okay. So because then we're not competing at the right level of disability, if you will, right? A person with cerebral palsy can technically compete with somebody who's completely able-bodied, like myself. I'll air quote that if you can, if you can imagine it. Because I'm technically able-bodied from the knees up. So somebody with a spine injury or you know, a cerebral palsy would not compete at my level. Or it'd be unfair for me to compete at their level. Because obviously our throws would be different. So even in my classification, I'm way higher in the classification, almost unable-bodied. Because my physical disability is only below the knees. I'm still okay. able-bodied from the knee up. The only difference is that I'm sitting down to be able to throw. And throwing a shot put from a seated position would be mm-hmm. difficult, at least to my mind. I used to throw shot it, put in high school. So, Oh, did you? Okay, yeah. so let's talk about that. So you would throw with one hand maybe up in the air to get your bearing and then spin to your point earlier. Correct. And then when you hit the guard, your foot can't go past that. So you guys almost lock your foot there, and then release. Correct? Correct. So in seated, I'm sitting down, and in my chair, there's a pole on my left side that I hold on to. I still hold the shop with my right because I'm a a right holder. And then I still do the position, and then I pull myself up with the pole to get, what's the term that I'm looking for? Get the lift, correct. And then throw with my arm as you would with yours. Okay. When you were doing that. Okay. See, I had no idea how that looked, right? And I mean, right. everything for me was in high school. Like, uh, my, my buddy and I, I remember this quite vividly. Um, we had 
to practice indoors due to mm. rain. We, we had indoor shot put, believe it or not. Yep. That's what we do in the wintertime. Yep. And the, we, we were in a very, very old building, but the gym was small enough that with everyone doing their thing, my buddy and I couldn't practice, but the coach wanted us there. Mm. So he put us in the pool area. The pool was not being used. So we jumped into the pool, down to the deep end, and we're throwing the shot put towards the shallow end so it would roll back to us and we didn't have to go pick it up. Oh, okay. Coach came in. He was a little upset with what we were doing, but, you know. Did you break any towels in the pool? or No. No. I don't know what your shot put, your indoor ones are like, but these were great big rubber-coated suckers. Yeah. Yeah. They they bounced quite well. Yeah. but yeah, no, we, we stood in the deep end throwing to the, sh- the shallow end so the, sh- the put would roll back to us. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's the same idea. Um, it's just that I'm sitting down and I'm using my arm to, to give myself sort of that, you know, first burst of energy to, to be able to throw um, the shot put from my right hand. Now that's interesting. That's interesting stuff. What I would really like to touch base with you on, though, is... Some of the nuts and bolts, the particulars about the things that you yourself run into that the average person probably doesn't think about. Voices for Ability was started as a way to get information out to people. So when you look at any individual and their disability, everyone's unique and has their own story, how they got there, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to an amputation, a brain injury, spinal cord injury, CP, anything, pick your disability and go from across the country, Halifax to Vancouver, they don't treat them any differently. Mm -hmm. But the services, the people that deliver those services, they are different everywhere we go. So being able to have the open forum, the conversation about certain things that just don't get asked is mm-hmm. really what Voices for Ability is about. It's the information for the everyday person to listen and say, oh, that worked for someone else. Oh, that didn't work for so-and-so. Oh, I can get help here. So as an amputee, mm-hmm. what are some of the things you come across? What is some of the information that folks absolutely need to know? You know, thinking about that, it's, it's the everyday things, Literally everyday things that we go through as a person, not just a person with disability, but everything that we go through as a person. I think I, I touched on it earlier with amputee self-care and health and amputee life hacks. And we do say that term a lot. And what I mean by that is just the little things such as shaving, for example. Me being a man, you can imagine being a hairy guy. I might say, you know, the hair on my limb is really bothering me with having to wear these prosthesis, should I shave them? Those are the things that are kind of questions that some MPs don't get to ask their clinicians or they're afraid to ask clinicians. What I hope the show will show them is that, yeah, these things I picked up on the show saying, don't shave my legs because now my limb is exposed to further infections or I'm now bound to get hair follicles infection or ingrown hair, for example. That's something that they picked up from the show. A lot of the things that I'm looking to share in the show are those things in amputee life hacks and things that, that happen to us every day that we don't think about or that when we think about them, we may be in bed and go, oh, but I heard this on the show and, and now I can ask somebody about it or I can ask my clinician about it. Okay, so let's touch on something briefly, just really quickly mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. 
maintenance for your blades. Yep. So the average person that drives their car, you know, lube, oil, and filter every 5,000, or I guess it's 10,000 now <laughs> with synthetic oils and things of that nature. You've yeah. got to do stuff to keep things running. Absolutely. What's maintenance like for your blades or your, your legs? Uh, maintenance from blades are very little. I just had to make sure that they're clean. There's no mud on them. There's dust on, you know, they're regularly dusted and washed every now and then. We watch out for cracks, obviously, because I'm running on the road. So pebbles may have gotten onto the material and created a, uh, a crack. And because they're carbon fiber, it will easily break that way if you let the crack uh, kind of continue. Other maintenance parts for myself for prosthetics, the other prosthetic pieces, for example, believe it or not, WD-40 is my friend. And I always joke about that because I sometimes post in social media about maintenance time and I have my WD-40 out and some tools out because I am either, you know, fixing a squeaky wheel, if you will, or a squeaky knot and bolt that may have come loose or have gotten rusted because I also swim with my prosthetics. So those little things is like, you wouldn't think a WD-40 would be useful to someone's body, but it is for me, right? A hardware store is more my friend than a drugstore would be for my body parts at this point. That, right? I'm like inter- Tin Man. That, 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 that's an interesting concept. I'm going to Home Depot, got to get some stuff, you know. Right. And that's just to make sure you get home kind of thing. Um, Absolutely. That, I'll give you a short story about, about Home Depot. I was actually due for a race at 4 p.m. And my friend and I went to lunch and I noticed something wrong with my prosthetic going, it's clicking and it's loose. And I looked down, I'm going, oh my gosh, I have lost a bolt from where we went to lunch and on the way to the race. And this happened in London, England. And I have a race in 20 minutes. We went to a hardware store in the middle of London to find a bolt that would fit my prosthetic. And again, we found it at a hardware store. And the joke that she said to me was, I have never known a hardware store exists in the middle of London until you came to look for one. Right? Well, the thing that gets me when you talk about that, you're in London, England, looking for a bolt. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you're a North American boy. So your yeah. legs are imperial and you're trying to find a metric <laughs> bolt. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. Man, that's like, uh, I forget which spacecraft it was, but they did the same thing. Um, yeah. Uh, built all the software in the States, built the rockets in the UK, and when they lit yeah. the cans, this thing just disappeared because of the difference between foot-pounds and metric well, right. newtons. Right. Somebody forgot to do a conversion. Yeah. Well, at that point, it's like, does this fit? Yep. It'll go for a 5K run. I did it, and... Duct tape and WD-40 is my friend. We'll just leave it at that. I always carry a screwdriver with me, WD-40, an Allen key, and uh, duct tape. Duct tape saves all. You're a fan of red green then? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm a card-carrying member. (laughs) Well, Aristotle, you know what? I've had an awesome time learning about you and the show and some of the stuff you're going to bring forward to Voices for Ability. Before we go, anything you want to say to the folks in the, at the end of this episode? Guys, looking forward to doing the show with you every Monday at 8 p.m. I will be hosting an after chat as well or after show chat as well on my Facebook. So you can look for me on Facebook 
Amputio Show. You can also find me on Instagram, The Amputio Show, there as well, where I'll share all the updates of the upcoming episodes for the show. You know what, Aristotle? I'm really yep. having a fun time learning about life as an amputee. So I'm really looking forward to more of what you've got to say, good sir. Awesome. Thank you, sir. This episode has been brought to you by Solo Medical, a revolutionary approach to amputation wound care. Visit www.solobandages.com.